It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Times Person of the Year is Taylor Swift. And why not? She's probably the most popular person in America. She is an incredibly successful businesswoman. Uh, According to Time, she's worth about $1 billion. People went absolutely haywire to get tickets for her endless tour that's going on in all these sold-out arenas. Some Republicans don't like her because of her liberal views. Um, And what was published online is sort of several different Time covers featuring Taylor Swift. In one of them, she's dressed in black and she has a white cat draped about her soldiers. Now, if I were really smart, I would tell you the significance of that. But maybe it's just an interesting picture. Also, it was about a year ago that the big media gossip slash scandal story in New York was about Amy Roback and T.J. Holmes. They were both co-hosts on Good Morning America 3, GMA 3. And they got fired because they were romantically involved. They've always said, hey, we're both in the process of divorcing our spouses, so it's perfectly legitimate, but, you know, they hadn't told the company, etc. So now they've started a podcast and some pretty interesting revelations here, just at least how they felt about it. Roback says, we were outed. We were not caught. Holmes saying that a few weeks before the first photos of the couple were taken, that revealed that they were obviously a couple, he had a sinister interaction with an unnamed party. We were directly threatened, says T.J. Holmes. I don't want to get into where it came from, but something was being demanded of us. And he says, two days after that threat, somebody became began surveilling him from outside his New York apartment. This sounds potentially criminal, but I don't know the details, and obviously he's not naming the person. The day the news of their relationship broke, according to an account in the Washington Post, Holmes finished work at 11 a.m. and immediately began an hours-long binge of vodka and marijuana edibles. By evening, he had sent a series of concerning texts to Roback that prompted her to rush to his apartment. She found him immobile in his bed. It's the most awful thing to have to touch your body to see if you were warm, she recalled. In the months that followed, Roback was pushed to a psychological brink. She described it as a lonelier experience than her breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, I never necessarily thought ABC should have gotten rid of them. And, you know, I think they kind of got screwed. Maybe not the best choice of word. Okay, let's get down to business here with story number one. Last night in Iowa, Donald Trump town hall with Sean Hannity. Now, look, Hannity's an opinion guy. He uh, has been very open about the fact that he's a huge supporter of Trump. Has been for years. They often speak offline, so to speak. And that was reflected in the questioning. Often it would be Hannity, for example, 
saying that Joe Biden has suffered from a cognitive decline, then playing uh, excerpts of an RNC ad, you know, spliced together to say, show Biden saying, well, what I meant to say was, and just losing his train of thought and so forth. And then Trump gets to answer. But the town hall did make news in a couple of days. Okay, here's a couple of quotes. Biden was struggling cognitively. That's Sean Hannity. I can't think of in the last couple of months any appearance that he had where he wasn't either mumbling or bumbling or stumbling or having no clue where to go or to exit. Do you think, he asked the former president, in 11 months he will be their candidate? Trump said, I personally don't think he makes it. Trump said, you know, it was okay for him to say, I'd like to take him behind the, I think it was the barn. Uh, Everyone thought that was cute, says Trump. If I ever said it, they'd say, he's a dictator. He's a horrible human being. You know, it's a whole double standard we have. Not only in the law, but just about everything else, as you know very well. I personally don't think he makes it physically. I watched him at the beach. He wasn't able to lift a beach chair which is meant for children to lift. I don't know where that part comes from. Another point, uh, Trump said, nuclear weapons are the biggest problem we have, and we have a man that can't put two sentences together. We have a man that doesn't know he's alive, and he's backed up by the media. The biggest problem we have is the media. The media is fake. I came up with the term a long time ago, and they won't talk about it. If I did some of the things he did, They'd reinstitute the death penalty. All right, obviously engaging in a little bit of a exaggerated rhetoric, but, you know, both of them really beating up on Biden's frailty, I guess you would call it. Now, to his credit, Sean Hannity tried twice to get Donald Trump to respond to all of these stories, the whole issue in the Atlantic about why Trump is dangerous for democracy and why a second term would be even more dangerous than the first, not to mention New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC. I have a whole column about this today, citing lots of examples. And if I can digress for a moment, as I say in this column, Trump provides plenty of ammunition for the media and for his opponents. When he talks about revenge and retribution, and getting even with his political enemies, and MSNBC is engaging in illegal political activities, and the government should do something, and making the remarks he made about the former Joint Chief of Staff, the head of the Chiefs of Staff, that is, of course, Mark Milley. Uh, All this should be reported aggressively. It's news, particularly if the former president says it. And yet, The media, rather than just reporting all these facts and opinion people going off on Trump, it's now a crusade. There's not even a fig leaf of, oh, you know, here's the Trump view of it, let's be fair. It's a crusade every day. The Atlantic people go on TV. The New York Times writes a piece about the dangers of second term. So the story's on TV every 15 minutes with a graphic quoting from the Times story and then pundits talk about it. And all I'm saying is this. There's a reason that half the country doesn't trust the media, thinks the media have zero credibility. And if you feel so strongly about Donald Trump and what a dangerous character he is, 
then quit your journalism job, if you're in straight news, straight in air quotes, and go campaign against him. Go start a group. Go, you know, have rallies, whatever you want to do. But when you have all these mighty organs of the press just trashing him all the time, I'm not saying he shouldn't be scrutinized, covered, criticized for the things he does and says and for the things he's done and said in the past. But there is a line that's been obliterated where coverage becomes a crusade. And if the media wonder why it's, their approval ratings are at an all-time low, this is a big chunk of it. Just because journalists and most of the people they hang out with are fiercely anti-Trump doesn't mean the whole country feels that way. He's a zillion points ahead in the GOP primaries, and these ridiculously early polls but nevertheless show him leading or very competitive with President Biden. He could well win a second term, and that's why there is this sort of sense of almost panic, I would say. Back to the town hall. Sean Hannity gave Trump, as I say, to Sean's credit, two opportunities to respond to all this criticism, uh, reporting on his violent rhetoric and how to use the Justice Department against his political foes. Hannity, do you in any way have any plans whatsoever, if reelected president, to abuse power, to break the law, to use the government to go after people? Trump's response? You mean like they're using right now, throwing it back, deflecting the question, throwing it back at the Biden administration? He then went on to say that Joe Biden has weaponized the Justice Department against him and that he's been indicted more times than Al Capone. So a few minutes goes by and Hannity tries again. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media have been focused on this and attacking you. And then Hannity just hands, it, hands him the opportunity. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Trump pauses a beep, except for day one. And then tells the audience, look, he's going crazy. And he repeated it again, except for day one. And hadn't he followed up? What do you mean by that? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not retribution, said Hannity. We love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? And I say, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator, okay? Let's just say that Donald Trump deflected the question once again. That was an ambiguous answer. What is he going to do on day one? I get that it was a partial joke, but gold-plated opportunity to say, no, of course, these stories are overwrought. Um... I do think we need to, you know, clean out government or whatever. We do reform government. Uh, the media are fake, uh, as he always says. But I'm not going to abuse power. He wouldn't say that. In other Trump news, Jack Smith, the DOJ special counsel, in court papers, accusing the former president of a long pattern of lying about elections and encouraging violence. So this is a court filing. And the prosecutors say that Trump has a history of this. And the reason this is important to their argument is it would buttress the notion that he was also laying the groundwork to falsely claim widespread fraud in the 2020 election, which, of course, was never proven. So 
among other things, um, the DOJ filing says that, you know, Trump sent supporters, including groups like the Proud Boys, who he knew were angry, who he now calls patriots, to the Capitol to achieve the criminal objection of obstructing the congressional certification. And then, back in 2012, and I didn't remember this, but on the other hand, in the uproar, I shouldn't say uproar, I mean in the, you know, climax of the 2012 election, nobody was running to find out what Donald Trump thought he wasn't in politics. He said that, without evidence, of course, he tweeted that voting machines had switched votes from Mitt Romney to President Obama. Same playbook as laid out by Jack Smith and his prosecutors. The defendant's claims about the 2012 and 2016 elections are admissible because they demonstrate his common plan of falsely blaming fraud for election results he does not like. Would he accept the election results in 2016? He said, I'll keep you in suspense. The government will offer proof of this refusal as intrinsic evidence of the defendant's criminal conspiracies because it shows his plan to remain in power at any cost, even in the face of potential violence. And then there's a part of this that talks about how Trump or somebody, Trump associates, excuse me, were encouraging riots at a Detroit vote counting center in 2020, targeting an RNC lawyer who countered Trump's claims of fraud. In other words, in that particular area of Michigan, Trump was falling behind Biden in the count. And the campaign employee, quoting here, encouraged rioting and other members of obstruction when he learned that the vote count was trending in favor of the defendant's opponent. So look, that's a one-sided filing by prosecutors, but nonetheless. And on this question about is Trump serious, Steve Bannon, just yesterday, on his podcast, former campaign chairman for Donald Trump, former type White House official, also pardoned by Donald Trump later, specifically addressed Trump's truth social post about MSNBC and its largely negative uh, anti-Trump coverage amounting to illegal political activity. Here's what Bannon said. I want the Morning Joe producers that watch us and all the producers to watch us. This is not just rhetoric. We're absolutely dead serious. You cannot have a constitutional republic and allow what these deep staters have done to the country, the deep state, the administrative state, the fourth branch of government, never mentioned in the Constitution, I'm sure Steve knows it is mentioned in the First Amendment, is going to be taken apart brick by brick, and the people that did these evil deeds will be held accountable and prosecuted. Criminal prosecutions. Now, that's just Steve Bannon talking, but he obviously is close to Trump. And he's willing to say, no, this is not just rhetoric. Take it seriously. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. All right, story number two. Washington Post columnist Karen Tumulty has a piece that begins, Why, Liz? Why? 
You may have seen Liz Cheney on various channels promoting her book, and she's absolutely in the uh, Trump is a danger to the democracy camp. And Tumulty starts out by saying no political figure in America has done more and sacrificed more to preserve our shredded democracy than Liz Cheney. She lost her post in the House leadership. She suffered a staggering defeat in a re-election bid as Wyoming's only member of Congress. And this happened because she took the job of vice chairman of the House January 6th committee when it was offered by Nancy Pelosi. But now she's at least flirting with the possibility of mounting an independent run. Uh, Assuming that Trump and Biden are the nominees, Karen writes, it is impossible to think of a state that Cheney or any independent candidate has a reasonable chance of winning. But there are at least a half a dozen states where the margins are likely to be close enough that an outsider candidate could play spoiler to Biden's chances, especially given the country's sour moods. That danger already exists thanks to the efforts of no labels. Cheney would be in a league by herself as a third-party candidate. And look, she's got the family name, daughter of Dick Cheney. She might offer, as one GOP strategist uh, told Tumulty, a way station to Republicans who can't bring themselves to vote for Joe Biden. Let's hope that she's just trying to sell books by saying this. And I don't think she's going to run, and I think she is just trying to sell books. Nothing gets the press's attention more than saying, I might run for president. Story number three. Uh, The situation in Gaza is ugly. House-to-house battles raging around the southern city of Khan Yunus. I guess that's the biggest city in the south. Israeli forces clashing with Hamas fighters. This is according to a New New York Times account. Some of the heaviest fighting of the war. The most intense day since the beginning of the ground operation, says a major general in the Israeli army. Hamas said it killed 10 Israeli soldiers, a claim that could not be verified. Why does the Times keep doing this? Hamas, the militant group that controls Gaza. It is not a militant group. The Times has acknowledged, acknowledged it's a terrorist group. Kidnapping civilian hostages, killing babies, killing grandmothers, beheadings. Uh, does that warrant the name militant? Is that some sort of Times style book thing? I mean, I mean, the Times has documented this along with plenty of other major news organizations. Anyway, forgive the short rant. Um, since temporary truce collapsed last week, Israel has focused on this town where it says Hamas leaders and fighters are concentrated. But, I mean, they're literally going house to house. Now, Joe Biden has basically been off TV as the war in the Middle East has become increasingly unpopular, particularly with the younger voters in the Democratic Party. Um, so when he was at an unrelated event, he did begin by talking about this. He said, I've been a strong, strong supporter of Israel from the time I entered the United States Senate in 1973. When this last event occurred, I immediately got on a plane and went over to Israel and meet with Bibi and meet with his cabinet. We have to figure what after Gaza, what after Gaza. He said he would continue trying to get the hostages out. He touted that he was able to convince the Israelis that we have to allow significantly more aid into Gaza. Well, that was happening during the seven-day pause, and obviously it is barely, if at all, happening now. Now, at a fundraiser, so this is not on camera, Biden actually said this. 
If Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running, but cannot let him win. So that's a remarkable statement from the incumbent president of the United States. He says, I'm not sure, but clearly suggesting that perhaps he would have stepped down after one term if it's not for the fact that, of course, he considers Trump a danger to democracy. And Trump in that town hall flipped it on Biden and said Biden is the one who is abusing power and is a danger to democracy. Um, And that Biden views himself as the only Democrat who can beat Donald Trump. Why does he think that? Because he did it in 2020. Now, do I think that Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer or somebody else could beat Trump? Well, they certainly have the advantage of relative youth, but also they can't run because the leader of their party is running. And time is running out. Yeah, I got to get on all the ballots and so forth. Iowa caucuses next month. But it's just such a insightful remark. I'm not sure I'd be running. Meanwhile, you think that military aid to Israel, and not to mention Ukraine, would be a very high priority for the United States Congress. Well, senators began blaming each other yesterday. Apparently, uh, there was a shouting match in in this negotiating meeting. Tempers flared for the looming potential failure to provide additional aid to Ukraine, says the Washington Post. As fragile negotiations over a national security package continued to break down amid Republican demands for far-reaching immigration restrictions, at least a dozen Republicans walked out of a classified briefing led by Secretary of State Tony Blinken and other Biden officials on the status of Ukraine's war effort, shrugging off a presentation that was meant to pressure them to back the aid. Some of the senators, led by Tom Cotton, confronted Chuck Schumer for not providing someone to brief them on border security in addition to Ukraine. So, you know, same old partisanship, no compromise, can't work it out. It's embarrassing, but it's more than embarrassing and it's more than humiliating. It has real world consequences for Ukraine and for Israel. Now, here's a piece of National Review saying... Among the undesirable conditions that voters disapproved of in the Trump years were regular eruptions of political violence in the streets, only some of which were directly attributable to the president's supporters. Yeah, it became the point that if, you know, oh, remember the Jesse Smollett case? You know, that, that of course, was totally fake. But there's violence somewhere. It's Trump's fault. He created the atmosphere. But Democrats assured Americans this was an outgrowth of Trump's vituperative style. I like any story that uses the word vituperative. Once he was gone, the bitterness and the violent street action would fade away. Well, hasn't quite worked out that way, has it? Writes Noah Rothman. An outpouring of anti-Semitic agitation punctuated by episodes of terroristic violence has highlighted the degree to which the chaos incepted in the Trump years was not attributable to Donald Trump's conduct alone. Jewish business owners are being targeted and terrorized. Visibly Jewish pedestrians, indeed children, are being assaulted. American citizens are being told to practice their faith quietly and in private. And liberal-leaning municipalities are canceling the celebration of Jewish rituals. And this is all being done on the political left. Now, this is absolutely true. Now, is that Joe Biden's fault any more than some of the violence was Trump's fault? Maybe it's both their faults. But you can't 
overlook it. And obviously, a lot of this has been criticized. And just as obviously, the left wing of the Democratic Party, the, uh, the AOC wing, the Rashida Tlaib wing, has been critical of the president for not showing more sympathy for civilian deaths in Gaza, although he has both publicly and pressured, uh, excuse me, has both publicly and privately pressured Netanyahu to be more careful. So Israel yesterday issued a warning in the south. Remember, there's like a million Palestinians that fled their homes in the north at the insistence of the Israeli government. Don't go on the main highway in southern Gaza. That's going to be uh, a war zone. So all of these people, many of them displaced, don't have any place to live, seeking shelter. They can't go on the main highway. They're told to take the coastal highway. It just shows you how difficult urban warfare is. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Number four, I haven't talked about this story just because I think it was a giant stunt, but it did have an impact. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama said yesterday he would lift his blanket hold on military promotions after a 10-month standoff. The reason he did this was he didn't like the Biden administration's abortion policy as it applies to the military. And, you know, I met him in the green room once. He's a very amiable guy, former football coach. And yet, it's been a long fight. We fought hard, Tuberville said. We just released him. You know, the, the Senate is like 100 people with a nuclear weapon. Anybody can just about block anything. Now, this didn't just happen because Tuberville woke up one morning and said, well, maybe I've had enough. Uh, Chuck Schumer had come up with a vote. He was going to bring a vote to get around the maneuver. And um, a lot of Republicans upset by this, too. We got all we could get, Tommy Tuberville told reporters. But the reality is he got nothing. He got nothing. He didn't change the policy. There were no concessions. He held up all these people who are presumably deserving of promotions. Uh, He's only going to now have a hold on, I don't know, a few top candidates for promotion. Had public confrontations with some of his Republican colleagues, Lindsey Graham, Joni Ernst, and others, all veterans, implored Tuberville on the Senate floor to lift the hold for the sake of national security. And finally, number five. You know, when I'm in the office, I bring home the newspapers. That's the sound of print for those of you who've forgotten what it sounds like. And I always find stories that I've missed or never saw in the first place. So here is... All right, all right. I'm not doing this just for effect. Uh, I'm trying to find the front page story. In the Wall Street Journal a few days ago, McDonald's decided it's had enough with dry patties and squishy buns. For the past seven years, the chain that made its name on burgers, yeah, indeed is synonymous with hamburgers, has been on a quest to improve its signature offering. The changes are now rolling out in the U.S., including on the Big Mac. Two old beef patties are cooked in smaller batches to get them to cook more evenly. There's more special sauce. The lettuce, cheese, and pickles have been rethought to be fresher and meltier. Didn't know that was a word. And the bun is now a buttery brioche, with the sesame seeds more randomly scattered for a homemade look. The more than 50 tweaks on its burgers add up to the Chicago-based company's biggest upgrades in decades to its core menu. 
With increased competition in the burger market, especially from higher-end fast casual chains such as Five Guys, executives decided to revamp some of the techniques that have produced cheap, uniform burgers. Now, first of all, you know, McDonald's is such an icon in the burger world that this seems interesting. I mean, it's just everybody knows McDonald's. It's a worldwide brand. But what's even more striking about it is that you have top McDonald's executives publicly acknowledging, now how shall I put this delicately, that their burgers suck. That, as I was saying, too dry and the bun is no good and the cheese is no good, so they're revamping everything. So here's on the record, Chris Young, McDonald's Senior Director of Global Menu Strategy. I love the titles at some companies. We can do it quick, fast, and safe but it doesn't necessarily taste great. Wow. So we want to incorporate quality into where we're at. Well, what were you doing before? Okay. These, they're running, they have billboards saying our best burger ever. And it's not that the chain is, you know, in some deep swoon. Um, There was a sales boom during the pandemic and McDonald's has held on. To those figures, same store sales, excuse me, same store sales. That's a tongue twister. Increasing uh, over 10% last year compared to 2.2% for Burger King, 3.9% for Wendy's. Also, the Golden Arches earned $6.2 billion in profit, but clearly is worried about these somewhat more expensive, better tasting burgers. Listen to this. This year, McDonald's came in 13th among U.S. chains based on the number of recent customers calling their burgers desirable. So in this, I don't know who did the survey, only 28 of those responding said they crave them. Oh, here it is. Survey of 49,000 consumers by a tech, by a market research firm. 28% say they prefer or crave McDonald's burgers. Now, I know McDonald's has lots of other offerings, chicken nuggets, which it famously invented and has been copied by everybody on the planet, salads and other stuff. But 28% means, you know, you're at some point you're going to lose your base or more of your base unless you just want to sell them as cheap, efficient, rubbery patties. Okay, who led the list? White Castle with 72%. I've had Wright Castle once in a while. It's a nice, it's kind of like a campy product, but that's the most popular. Burger King, 52%. And then the journal says newer chains like Smashburger, Shake Shack, and Five Guys have popularized the Smashburger technique of placing a round wad of beef on a grill and mashing it flat to produce more flavorful patties. So what I just love about this story, and... Um, I guess at some point I should try one of the new burgers and see if it's a big improvement. Is that McDonald's is essentially doing a mea culpa. You know, we're sorry our patties taste so bad. We know it. We have to do something about it. And we're changing roughly everything about it. New bun, new cheese, new lettuce, new tomatoes, new beef or new beef cooking techniques. So just to bring you up to date on that. A story that is taking America by storm. And now is a new story that it's McDonald's has secretly been testing a different chain 
just has a completely different menu. Uh, some duplicates like milkshakes and uh, things like that. And it's called what? Mikaz or Coz, C-O-S. You know, you can tell if you look at the logo that it is a kind of McDonald's spinoff. I don't have a full report on that. I don't even know where these secret locations are. But when I find out, I'll share it with you. And thanks for sharing your time with me. Uh, as we try to cover the waterfront today, I think I'm getting a little hungry now. Go see what's in the fridge. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.